This is Car Expert. I do like that they're basically moving away from these complicated names, but having a vehicle like the Land Rover Range Rover SV autobiography, (laughs) an absolute mouthful. Mahindra, the angle that they were taking with this is that although it's kind of been geared as a family car, people that will be buying this vehicle don't want these features, which I don't believe. Welcoming to this week's Car Expert podcast, William Stopford. Hey, Mandy. And Jack Quick, hello. Hey, Mandy, it's been a long time. I know. Uh, Welcome back from all of your gallivanting around. Um, Where exactly have you been again? So over the last few weeks, I've kind of felt like I've been everywhere. I'm uh, based in Melbourne predominantly, but uh, I went away to Tasmania uh, for a a week and it was uh, to celebrate my partner's uh, five-year anniversary of being together. And, um, yeah, it was just a bit of fun. And I've also been in uh, Brisbane for a whirlwind trip uh, for my first launch uh, of the Mahindra Scorpio, which I will be talking about later. Fantastic. Well, firstly, congratulations on your your anniversary. Um, Now, usually when you go on a holiday, our first question is, what hire car did you get? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, Lockie, my partner, kind of uh, sprung it on me that the day before uh, we, um, hiring, a, we hired, sorry, a Polestar 2, so the EV, uh-huh. um, based on the same platform as the Volvo XC40. Um, and I hadn't really driven one to date. I'd only been a passenger in the back of one ages ago when Scott and James were driving one time to lunch. It was just like a five-minute real a little spin. So it was a lot of fun to get behind the wheel of the Polestar 2 for a little bit of a, a longer period. And um, I don't know if I necessarily loved it because um, Lockheed, my partner, has a Tesla Model 3 that I think I've talked about before on the podcast. Um, so it's nice to compare the two kind of like for like. The, the Polestar 2 we had was a long range uh, dual motor, so the top of the range. And I think it had the plus package too, which I can't remember if it's standard or not, but it adds like a whole heap of um, cool features like the the fancy seats and uh, the pixel LED headlights with a matrix function. And um, yeah, I didn't necessarily love the car. Um, I still go for the Model 3, but it was really cool to experience regardless. How'd you go with range and, and charging uh, when you were traveling? Well, one thing that I I want I'm trying to use another word than hate. <laughs> I really <laughs> disliked about the Polestar. It was really, really inefficient. Um, when I was driving, I was struggling to get um, under 20 kilowatt hours per 100 Ks, which is really thirsty for an electric car. I should think of another word than thirsty. <laughs> um, uh, Model 3 for context is roughly around 12 to 13 kilowatt hours per 100 Ks. So if uh, if you think in terms of like litres per 100 Ks, that's a big difference. And obviously that uh, amount of efficiency uh, variance kind of impacts your range. And uh, when when the car was charged, the Polestar 2 was charged to 100 Ks, it was about 380 kilometres according to the computer. And I think the battery is like 70 kilowatt hours, um, roughly about in that range anyway. It's just a little bit bigger than the Teslas, um, but it was just chewing through the battery. But um, the I found when I was going around to Tasmania that there were a whole heap of EVs. I know that I wrote a story ages ago about this company that's um, uh, selling a whole heap of grey import uh, Nissan Leafs around and things like that. So I saw a lot of those around, which I wasn't expecting to <laughs> see, like a lot of these smaller uh, EVs with, with less range. And I didn't uh, – 
when I was going around in the Pulsar 2, I didn't experience any issues with any public charging whatsoever, unlike what we experience here in Victoria sometimes, which was a nice change to see because I tried all of the the major networks like ChargeFox um, and EV and uh, whatnot, and I, I didn't experience any issues at all. And honestly, it didn't really add much time to journeys and things like that and uh, I've lived with an EV now for, for over 12 months personally with uh, Lockheed's uh, Model 3. So it really didn't feel any different. But if I've, I say that, but we were charging more often because it was using more electricity to drive. But, yeah. Hmm, interesting. What did uh, Lockheed think of the, the Polestar? He found um, he found it very comfortable. The seats are absolutely uh, delicious. <laughs> I can't think of a better <laughs> word to describe it. They're just like really soft. And obviously, um, Polestar is a very, very eco-conscious brand and they didn't have any leathers in the interior. Um, so the seats were absolutely like soft and whatnot. But the, all of the other plastics were he found were really hard and um it wasn't very practical. He said it didn't find it very practical either because um, obviously the Polestar 2 is based on an internal combustion platform and it has kind of the, inherently the where like an engine or transmission would go. So there's a huge hump uh, in the center, uh, center console. And uh, because of that, you don't really have any like nice spot to put your phone or like any cups. It does have cup holders, but in order to properly use them, you have to flip the the armrest open, and it's just oh. kind of it just doesn't quite work well. But he uh, Lockie also said um, he quite liked the um, suspension tune on the Polestar 2. He found it. Uh, I can't relate to this too. The Polestar, uh, sorry, his Model Three is quite stiffly sprung. Um, Whereas the Polestar 2 was kind of more compliant, willing to go with the bumps, and it didn't feel quite as jarring over like rough bumps over high speed. But um, he also mentioned as well, I know that I've kind of added a few things onto this now, but um, the Polestar 2 was really noisy. It had a lot of like road noise, um, whereas Model 3 was quite quiet in comparison, which, um, yeah, all of those points I found really interesting. You touched on one of my key complaints of the Polestar too, because I think it's a really good looking car and I like the kind of aesthetic that they've gone for it inside and out. But when you are basing something on a, a combustion powered vehicle, there are going to be uh, inefficiencies and the Polestar 2, it's especially noticeable because they've gone for a sleeker shape. When you get into a Volvo XC40 recharge pure electric on the same platform, it feels like a really good use of the space because it's got that boxy body. But the Polestar 2, it's supposed to look a little bit sleek, sleeker. And you just feel really hemmed in. That center console is so high and it just it's it's not it doesn't feel at all spacious. And some of the materials, you're right, it, it's it's a lot of kind of hard trims there. Um, I, I can't wait to drive Polestar's uh newer models you know when the, the three and the four when they come out i'll be curious to see if they make better use of the space i, I should also say as well you're lucky that you didn't drive the polestar 2 with the i want to say it's called the performance pack because i had one up in brisbane a little while ago and it's the one with the adjustable dampers and oh, <laughs> this thing uh. just rode horribly but because they're adjustable um they, from memory they're actually manually adjustable and whoever had 
had tuned that, um, had ever, whoever had picked that setting, <laughs> they made the wrong choice oh because this thing was just painful to drive. So I, I've heard better things from other people who have driven that particular spec. So I think if you if you find the right setting, it can be a good balance and probably more comfortable than a Tesla because, again, that's, that's a common complaint I've heard about a, a lot of Teslas is they ride very firmly. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, my Polestar 2 experience was not great. Um, but I'm really, really uh, excited to hear, um, one, about your Tasmania uh, trip because I want to go to Tasmania this year, but also how you fared with an EV because I've done a fair amount of road trips, but they've always been in a petrol-powered car. And I know that you can you can time your, your charging to whenever you're planning on stopping anyway for lunch or, or whatever. Um, but it, it does, for me, traveling longer distances in electric vehicle just adds a little bit more stress than it does because mm. yes i know that you can in theory drive somewhere and be miles away from a from a petrol station so that's that's the same kind of issue you get with charging stations but i dare say there are a lot more petrol stations in australia than there are charges so <laughs> and ones that work too <laughs> Um, now, just before we kick into news, Shanghai Motor Show has uh, actually, it's wrapped up now, hasn't it, Will, I think? Um, yes, I believe what were, so. What were some of your favourite highlights? Well, I would have loved to have, <laughs> have been there <laughs> to actually see, uh, but unfortunately some things don't work out that way. Um, you know, we've been talking a bit about uh, motor shows kind of dying <laughs> or um, you see some of the major shows, a lot of manufacturers just won't bother making an appearance um, and uh, you know, some places change venues and um, there are some motor shows just have more of a focus on, on mobility overall and, and there's no longer seems to be as many exciting reveals. Uh, well, Shanghai didn't get the memo uh, because Shanghai <laughs> sounds like it would have been an absolutely dope sh- uh, show to go to. Um, we've been covering, we've been trying to like churn through all of the freaking news that's been coming out of it. Um, so if you if you by the time you're listening to this, the, the show will have wrapped up. Um, but um, honestly, just the sheer number of reveals and the variety of reveals. Um, so uh, GWM revealed a six wheel. For a pickup truck. Yes, we spoke um, about that last week. It was crazy. Yes, yes, which is absolutely <laughs> nuts. And um, they had a few other reveals as well, including a new um, plug-in hybrid midsize SUV and a new model of the, the tank uh, family. Honda revealed a bunch of electric concepts, LDV or Maxxis, as, as Seiko Motor calls that brand in the Chinese market. Um, they revealed a big electric pickup truck. Lexus revealed its LM uh, people mover, which I think you might have mentioned last week as well. Um MG Cyberster was revealed. You had Polestar 4, blah, blah, blah. So there was, there was a whole bunch there. And then we, we did a little bit of a, a roundup uh, for the weekend of, of everything we didn't actually get around to covering um, <laughs> earlier in the week. And I was, I was writing until late on Friday night trying to get this done. Um, and look, I hope I haven't missed any any kind of major things. I, I think one thing to just to be, to be mindful of with the Chinese market is the sheer number of manufacturers that exist in China and the sheer number of brands that each of those manufacturers have. Like if you ask me to tell you uh, all the brands under Seik Motor, under um, 
Chang'an under all of the major automakers, I would probably miss a bunch. And I'm somebody who covers the Chinese market. You know, we like to cover the Chinese market pretty closely because it's obviously of great relevance to us. I know some people gripe that we, you know, that we cover um, Chinese stuff, but I'm sorry, there's a whole bunch of Chinese brands competing in Australia and, and more on the way. So we, we can't afford to ignore what is a really major automotive industry. And, you know, it's funny when you look back, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, coverage of a Chinese motor show would be like, oh, look at this ridiculous copy. Oh, look at this crap. Um, but the the industry there has matured so, so, so much and so quickly to the point where some of their EV brands, some of their younger EV brands are general, genuinely like innovative. And we're seeing as well the Chinese are, one, they've already established a really strong beachhead in Australia. They're tackling Europe now, um, which is making some of the European automakers a little bit nervous. So the Shanghai Motor Show is was absolutely fascinating for, for some of the reviews, but there was still some, uh, still some classic kind of cute, crazy, quirky Chinese stuff as well. My favorite was the Geely Panda Mini Little Yellow Duck Limited Edition. <laughs> Which is, look, you have to you have to kind of give Chinese brands um, credit sometimes because they 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 sometimes have a, a sense of whimsy that uh, that most uh, you know like you know your German brands, your American brands, they're always really serious. Oh, look at this, this masculine, high performance sports sedan. But um, the Chinese and the Japanese can be a little bit quirky in their home markets, and uh, this particular model was this. It's a, it's a limited edition version of their of Geely's little uh, Panda electric kind of micro car. With big uh, duck decals on the oh, side. No. Like a smiling duck face and um, <laughs> what the duck written uh, 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 towards the rear. So, look, there was some kind of cute stuff like that. We've seen stuff like that come out of China as well. I mean, uh, one example being the, the Aura Ballet cat with its warm man mode, which, by the way, I should really include a link to that in the podcast post because if you guys listening have not heard about this car, it is absolutely hilarious and it's what is a warm man mode um it's um uh (laughs) (laughs) the car is aimed at um at at female buyers and the warm man mode is supposed to uh make you feel more comfortable in it in a a, a part of the month where you might not be as comfortable no way what i am not joking It is absolutely wild. And (laughs) reading the press release, it honestly felt like no women were involved in the manufacturing and development of this car (laughs) because it is so unbelievably cringe and hilarious. And, and like, GWM is is, is a fascinating company and they make some really genuinely, like, good products. But when I was reading that, I'm like, guys, no, what? (laughs) So... It's all, oh, oh. You explain that so well, Will. It's wild. That's just one of the features that this car has. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so there's, there's some kind of silly stuff that comes out of China, but there's also some stuff where you're like, damn, this actually is is good. So uh, BYD revealed its uh, new Seagull, which is an electric city car. It's, it's not as cute as the Gila Panda Mini Little Yellow Duck Limited Edition, um, but we're talking about uh, something with uh, 305 or 405 kilometres of range on the CLTC cycle, mind you. Um, it's a small, little tiny, like uh, it's about 3.8 metres long, um, and it's the, the smallest member of, of – um, 
of BYD's ocean family of EVs. Um, so the other ones being the, the dolphin and the seal that are coming here this year. Um, so that that's an interesting one. Uh, Cherry revealed a new brand called iCar. So Cherry's got uh, Jatura and Exceed, which are their like premium SUV brands. Um, Jatura has been revealing all these really boxy looking off-roaders, which is all the rage in China right now. Like everyone is releasing some Defender, Bronco-y, G-Class-y looking thing at the moment. Um, and uh, so is Cherry's new iCar brand. So their first car will be the iCar 03. And it kind of looks like a Defender, but it's actually really small. Um, it's 4.2 meters long. So it's actually shorter than a Mitsubishi ASX. Um, so we, we'll be watching that that brand closely. They also revealed this this really sleek looking kind of Grand Tourer Um what else was there? Um, God, too much to mention. There's another company uh, called Hoson Auto, and I hope I didn't mispronounce that. Um, they revealed, <laughs> imagine this, like right on 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 Sake Motors' doorstep, right as they're revealing the MG Cyberster, this company reveals that the Nita GT Speedster, which is also an electric convertible, but actually has a second row of seats, unlike the <laughs> Cyberster. Uh, and it doesn't look half bad, to be honest. Um, Smart, which is now uh, 50-50 owned by both Mercedes-Benz and Geely, they revealed um, their latest Smart SUV. And, you know, like the brand was here for ages and I just did not care. Um, now they're gone and their new products that they're introducing actually look genuinely cool. So the, the Smart Hashtag three. Um, oh, God, such an annoying name. Really? Uh, I know. Um, it's about the length of a Mercedes-Benz GLA. So it's not some little tiny tiddler. Um, and that also goes for the outputs because it's got a dual motor all-wheel drive powertrain with 315 kilowatts of power. So it's like forget everything you ever knew about smart um, <laughs> because it's now a, a Chinese-focused uh well, they'll be selling cars in Europe as well. I, I genuinely hope they come back, judging by what we've been seeing from them. Um, and uh, just some, just uh, the uh, Yang Wang U8. I know, st- grow up, stop laughing. Um, it, it means looking up in Chi- in Chinese. Um, I, in Mandarin, I think. Um, but uh, Yang Wang is a new uh, brand of BYDs, and uh, the U8 is this electric SUV, which is genuinely cool looking like the interior is like everything is covered in leather and this thing um has got a a a range extender powertrain so it's got a two liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine but it's also got four 220 kilowatt electric motors Um, so we've spoken about this car before but they've they've detailed they've released more details and shown off the interior which is stunning and it would want to be because the base price equates to around 237,000 Australian dollars so these Chinese brands as you're kind of seeing here that they've they're getting so ambitious. They're targeting Europe. They're releasing high-end, you know, electric vehicles, electric convertibles, range extender, quad motor, bloody uh, SUVs uh, with huge price tags. So you've still got plenty of cheap and cheerful stuff in China, as we see with stuff like the B- with the BYD Seagull. But then you're seeing this this genuinely ambitious, high-end, innovative, high-tech electric um, and electrified vehicles. I really wish I'd been there at the show, but I would have been absolutely knackered after uh, going around <laughs> trying to photograph 10 million things and, and, and write 10 million stories. So, uh, look, hopefully we haven't missed anything um, coverage-wise. Um, but, uh, yeah, motor shows aren't dead. Um, and uh, mm, at least in China. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Well, if you want to see the full coverage, you can just search Shanghai Motor Show at the uh, search link at Car Expert. Okay, time to talk about this week's car news. Lots of Range Rover and, well, not anymore, Land Rover news, Will. So Jaguar Land Rover is now going to be called JLR. Uh, it's what we often refer to it as anyway, uh, but now it's being made official. Um, and they're completely overhauling uh, the naming of their vehicles. Uh, so the head of design for JLR, Jerry McGovern, um, he was quoted as saying, Customers say they own a Range Rover. In luxury, you need absolute clarity. Land Rover Range Rover SV autobiography doesn't give it. <laughs> so <laughs> he's absolutely he right. Point. Yeah. It's it is really confusing when technically and I know whenever we're um whenever we're tagging articles as well, we've got a Land Rover Range Rover Sport, Land Rover Range Rover Revoke. Like and and who actually calls those vehicles Land Rovers? Yeah. Um so basically the Land Rover brand is dead. Um, and JLR is going to shift to what they're calling a house of brands approach, which sounds very, very luxury. Um, so vehicles will be launched under four nameplates, Range Rover, Jaguar, um, Defender, and Discovery. Uh, the last one is probably the most interesting one there because we've been seeing Discovery sales really shrinking, um, especially with the Defender providing competition in the in the showroom. Um, so we'll have to see what kind of comes from there. But they have confirmed that there will be next generation versions of the Evoque, the Velar, and the Discovery Sport. Um, now, look, JLR has a bit of a cluttered lineup there, so I'll be curious to see how they how they kind of uh, position all of those vehicles. Um, but uh, basically those those vehicles will use a platform called the Electrified Modular Architecture, um, which was previously touted as an electric first platform that would also support internal combustion uh, and plug-in hybrid powertrains. Uh, but now um, it's actually going to be an electric-only platform. Um, so basically a lot of changes that are happening there. And also amongst that, um, they have teased a next generation Jaguar product. So we know that that brand has already confirmed that they were going to be going electric only from 2025 and that pretty much all of their current models would not have direct replacements, that it was going to be repositioned as a more kind of exclusive kind of uh, ultra luxury brand, uh, if you will. Um, so they have teased that the first new Jaguar product will be a four-door Grand Tourer, which yes, Oh, Excellent, because nice. we've been hearing, you know, reports that it, you know it might just be SUVs. And it's like, well, don't you have an SUV brand for that? Like, I, I know Jaguar sales aren't really, you know, uh, setting any records at the moment, but uh, still, um, it's it's good to hear that they that will they will be developing a a, a four door GT there. So it looks like we should be seeing that around mid decade. Um, but yeah, so I think perhaps the most shocking news out of all of that was that the Land Rover name uh, would be effectively killed but they did said that it would it would become a trust mark for the Range Rover Defender and Discovery brands so it's it, they're not completely walking away from it but they're not going to be marketing their vehicles um, as Land Rovers uh, what do you guys think about that I think it kind of makes a lot of sense as you kind of touched on at the start there will it's a very long name when you're referring to the Evoque per se, like Land Rover, Range Rover, Evoque, and then the the variant or trim level. Like, it just it makes a lot of sense to be kind of condensing that when we refer to a lot of those models as just Range Rover anyway. Mm. Um, it'll make my life a little bit easier too when I'm making <laughs> stories. Um, but yeah, um, 
I'm also quite excited to see what the the electric versions of the next gen um, Evoke, Velar, and uh, Discovery Sport are going to look like. I wonder if they're going to try and keep the perhaps like styling the same or they're going to amp up and go like really electric looking or whether they'll keep boxy looks. I imagine it'll be that particular styling, but I'm very, very interested in that particular part. Um, in addition to that really cool uh, four-door Jaguar uh, electric car too. I'm so keen for that. I'm perhaps just a little bit surprised that they've they've committed to next generation versions of so many of those products because Oh, look, I, I know technically, you know, a Range Rover Evoque and a Land Rover Discovery Sport are, are two different products, but they occupy a very similar space. You've got the Velar, which never really seemed to get much traction here in Australia because a lot of people would be like, well, I'll just get spend a little bit more and get a Range Rover Sport or spend a little bit less and get the Evoque. So it's a very cluttered lineup and maybe having these, this kind of separate branding made more explicit could simplify things but um i think probably the vehicle i'm most excited for and most excited to see out of the the land rover or you know whatever we're calling it now uh products is the next generation discovery um because the current model has just you know not been particularly successful it's it's a, the brand's slowest selling vehicle in australia um and you've got the defender now coming in you know that that extended length 130 guys as well so land river has to do sorry jlr has to do something really different um with the next generation discovery to kind of keep it relevant in the market um so yeah we'll have to see what that looks like but i, I do like that um <laughs> that they're basically moving away from these complicated names. Like, mm-hmm. and I know nobody ever really called it that, but having a vehicle like the Land Rover Range Rover SV autobiography is abs- <laughs> an absolute mouthful. It reminds me of the Chevrolet Chevelle Malibu Classic Estate Wagon. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> that's always my go-to for the longest name I can remember. I'm sure there's another one. If you can think of another really, really, really long name, please let us know. Yes. I'm sure there's a Mercedes-Benz out there that's got a really long name. I can't think off the top of my head, but there's a few out there. I'm sure there is. Um, Now, moving on to our next story, Jack, uh, the government has a plan to improve EV supply. What is it? Yes, yeah, this is all part of like a really drawn out process that's taking a long time, all to do with um, fuel efficiency standards. Um, So the Australian federal government has said it will legislate a fuel efficiency uh, standard designed to improve the supply of of both hybrid and electric vehicles in Australia. So it plans to spend uh, the next few weeks designing these standards and plans to introduce a final plan um, by the end of the year. This has been going on for a very long time and it still seems to be happening somewhere. It's still churning away. Um, If this um, legislation passes... Uh, This will mean um, car makers will need to bring more um, low emission vehicles to Australia um, because that's kind of been the the issue in the past because Australia is one of uh, very few countries um, without fuel efficiency standards. Um, Another country that's very similar in terms of um, similar economic standing is Russia without any fuel economy uh, efficiency standards. See, so yeah, that's kind of that's the the reason why we kind of get that dumping ground phrase in Australia. We kind of get like the there's no proper efficiency standard, so we just kind of get the worst of the worst and most mm. polluting. And obviously, that kind of ends up mean meaning that you pay more at the Bowser, you're refueling more, and all that kind of fun stuff, I suppose. But um, it's just worth noting that um, EV sales are, are spiking in Australia here. 
Australia, but um, they're still proportionally far lower than other um, developed markets, obviously because they have those uh, fuel efficiency standards, meaning um, that they're having to reach these targets for certain uh, emissions and in order to achieve that, they have to bring in hybrids and more EVs. So um, it just makes a lot of sense in that regard. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts, Will, on this kind of drawn-out process? Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel just yet? Yeah, look, it'll be good um, when these are, are finally brought in. Uh, I'll be curious to see what, what it ends up looking like, if it's going to be a very s- similar kind of uh, system to what they have in, in markets like the US and Europe. Uh, but I think... The ultimately, the, the consumer is going to benefit here because, Jack, as Jack mentioned, you're going to see manufacturers bring the most efficient powertrains in, um, and uh, yeah, that's um, we'll just have to wait and see. Mm. Well, we're going to stick to sort of similar sort of news here. Will, if you uh, if you want an EV and you're in Queensland, well, you, I think you'll be winning. <laughs> Yes. Um, so the Queensland Labor State Government has doubled the household EV rebate from $3,000 to $6,000 and also increased the price cap for new vehicles eligible under the scheme to $68,000. Um, so there are some kind of caveats there. Um, so applicants must have a combined household income of $180,000 or less to get access to the maximum rebate. Um, the doubled rebate is also exclusive to eligible households. Um, Um, But individual buyers as well as households above the income threshold will still have access to the older $3,000 rebate. Um, And those applicants who have actually already applied and received the rebate under the earlier scheme and who are under that income threshold are considered eligible for reassessment. So if you've actually already bought it and you think, ah, nuts, I missed out, uh, you can still potentially, um, if you're not earning too much, um, receive an additional payment of that $3,000 rebate. So the threshold previously for new EV prices was $58,000, which I mean, I know to some people sounds like a lot, but when you're looking at EVs, (laughs) that's not not a massive amount of variety there. So Mm -hmm. upping that to $68,000 means that um, vehicles like the Cooper Bourne and the Polestar 2 are actually eligible. Um, And the list of vehicles, you're looking at around... (laughs) roughly a dozen vehicles that start under that threshold. So, of course, you know, Tesla Model 3 is a big one, um, but also the BYD Auto 3. So, that's another huge seller, at, at least among electric vehicles in Australia. And then uh, stuff like the Hyundai Kona Electric and Kia Niro EV, um, as well as MG ZS EV and MG4. Um, so, look, that makes this the, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the largest um the largest rebates that are actually available or the largest government incentives available for electric vehicles in Australia. It's, it's uh, nice to see that from my, from my home state. Um, so yeah, good news Yay. if you're buying an EV in Queensland. Indeed. Now uh, we are a big fan of Cooper here at Car Expert, and it's uh, really good to see Jack. We've got another model coming to Australia. Yes, and that model is called the the Taviscans. Yeah, Cooper, uh, this Taviscan is a, a new all-electric SUV from the, the Spanish brand. And um, this Taviscan is coming to Australia in uh, 2025 um, alongside uh, the mid-sized Terramar SUV and um, the production version of the, the Urban Rebel electric hatch. So those are the few models to look forward to from Cooper in, in the next couple of years. Um, so I'll just 
talk a little bit more about this Taviscan first up though. Um, it is based on the MEB platform, like we've seen in a number of the Volkswagen Group vehicles like ID3, ID4, ID5, ID Buzz. And um, interestingly, um, the Taviscan will be built in China for all of the all the markets it's sold in, which I think is very interesting. Now, um, the entry-level version um, has a 210-kilowatt um, single-motor rear-wheel drive setup, which is very common among, among um, MEB uh, stuff. And then there's also um, in the Taviscan VZ, um, it, it has a 250-kilowatt hour, uh, kilowatt, should say, not hour, 250-kilowatt dual-motor all-wheel drive setup. And um, in terms of dimensions, uh, this Taviscan is very similar to the ID5, the Volkswagen. Kind of looks like it too. Um, very rakish coupe SUV looks. Um, but in addition, uh, in my personal opinion, more exciting news as well is uh, Cupra has revealed an electric sports car concept called the Dark Rebel. <laughs> um, so yeah, it looks very cool, but it was revealed in the metaverse, which I hate saying as it comes <laughs> out of my mouth. <laughs> what is the metaverse? So like, virtually, yeah. So like a, a virtual realm where this car kind of lives um, electronically in the digital world. There's no physical concept uh, yet of this dark rebel, so you can only kind of interact with it on your phone or in your laptop. Ah. So as there's no physical concept, but uh, Cooper has said there is one coming soon. Um, but the thing is uh, that this is uh, the particular concept is in the metaverse. Cooper hasn't finalized the design yet of this concept. So in this metaverse, I haven't actually played around it with myself, but apparently you can change around the design and how this concept looks. It's just like a, a, a very uh, drawn out kind of, uh, two-door concept sports car but apparently you can change up how it looks and that will inform how the physical concept looks and obviously uh, then in turn most likely a production model i don't think cooper has quite confirmed that there's a production model yet but there's going to be a physical concept so the, it's just the beginning of something here very exciting for cooper but um uh what do you like more, Will? Do you like the the electric SUV that is coming to Australia, all this elusive sports car that we haven't properly seen yet? <laughs> Look, I, I think I've gone on record before as saying I think coupe SUVs are almost always hideous. Mm -hmm. uh, the Taviscan manages to avoid that. I think it actually looks quite cool. The interior looks really funky with that kind of central spine. Um, again, it's, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but... It, as far as coupe SUVs go, it looks genuinely good. Um, it is, Jack, it, it is interesting that it's going to be produced in China because it's actually going to be exported to markets like Europe from China and to markets like Australia from China. Um, now, the last time the Volkswagen Group exported a car from China here was actually the first time it did that. And correct me if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening, but that was the Volkswagen Polo Classic sedan, and they haven't done that since. Um, so, look, I... I've got no doubt that it's it's going to be built to the you know the same kind of standard as as in other Volkswagen facilities, and, and we also have to remember that the Volkswagen, even just looking at the Volkswagen brand, it is one of the top three brands in China. They were in the Chinese market, 
you know, decades before some other brands, uh, some other automakers were. Um, so yeah, Tavistan will be a really interesting addition to the lineup. Um, but that Dark Rebel, which sounds like some kind of like gritty early two thousands kind of sci fi show. <laughs> um, oh, I'm thinking of Dark Angel. That's it. Um, ah yes. Yeah, there we go. Jessica Alba. Yeah. Anyway, um, look when. Uh, Cooper CEO teased quite recently that uh, that they were thinking about doing a sports car, and I think that got all our kind of imaginations racing. You know, what's it going to look like? I, I wasn't actually expecting uh, a really uh, long bonnet short, shooting brake style um, sports car. Uh, it is genuinely cool looking. Um, you can kind of see some of the details are a little bit exaggerated, but you could see where things could be toned down for a production vehicle if they get mm. that approved. Um, Cooper is making some really big moves and Volkswagen Group seems to really be backing them um, because Cooper has also said that they want to enter the US market, um, which would likely be if it gets approved, if their plan gets approved uh, around probably around 2030 from memory. Uh, the reason why that's big news is because, you know, brands like Seat, um, Skoda, uh, they, they don't actually exist in, in the US market. And they've said that they want to have products that have been developed with the US market in mind. Uh, so uh, among the other products that they've they've kind of teased, they're working on is a, a large SUV. So something actually larger than even the, the Terramar that's coming up, which is going to be roughly roughly Volkswagen Tiguan sized. Um, so um, yeah, look, it's really exciting to see what they're doing there. Um, it's, we're kind of sort of like a test bed market for Cooper when you think about it um, because they, they've, they've expanded here. We're kind of being used as a beachhead before they, they, they look at rolling out to other Asia Pacific markets. So uh, I think all eyes in the, in the Volkswagen group kind of boardroom are going to be on, on Australia and, and Cooper's performance here. So if, if Cooper does well here, then maybe they get more of their plans approved. So maybe we do see a production sports car. Um, but uh, for now it, even even besides this, you know, their, their product rollout is is quite ambitious. They've they've confirmed that they're doing uh, next generation electric versions of the current Leon and Formentor. You know, they're rolling out Tavascan Terramar production version of the Urban Rebel. They've got a lot on their plate, so it, it's pretty exciting time for the for the brand. Mm, indeed, if you uh, want to check out the photos, just head to at the newslink at carexpert.com.au. Now, Jack, as you mentioned, you were recently in Brisbane for the 2023 Mahindra Scorpio launch. How did it go and what did you think of the car? Yeah, so this uh, kind of holds like a kind of near and dear place to my heart because it, I suppose technically uh, the Mahindra Scorpio is the, the first car that I've driven on a, a proper launch event that I've ever been on, which is quite exciting. I've been on a whole heap of events with like Lamborghini and Mazda and whatnot now, but this is like my first launch re- review, which is very cool and very exciting. To <laughs> You know, you're to- no longer a launch version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, been around now. So yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, went to Brisbane as you said, Manti, to to drive this uh, Mahindra Scorpio, which is kind of like a budget kind of version of the Toyota Prado and um, body on frame SUV. Very very popular segment that, uh, by the likes of the Ford Everest and MUX and whatnot. And um, yeah, 
I quite liked it a lot, but um, it definitely has its um, downsides, unfortunately. But um, I'll just kind of start off with the the Scorpio nameplate because you mightn't necessarily be aware of of what I'm talking about with this car. Um, now, the Scorpio dates back all the way to 2002, so it's been around for over 20 years now. But it's only launching in Australia now in third generation guide uh, guys. Now, in India, um, this uh, Scorpio is called the Scorpio N, but uh, Mahindra has just uh, decided to drop the N in Australia because it's uh, oh, it's not the f- like it's the first uh, Scorpio that's been sold in Australia, but it's also another reason too is due to trademark issues. Um, it's a bit too similar to Mitsubishi Scorpion. Uh, people are getting confused. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, really? legit. Yeah, legit. Which I thought was really interesting. So um, they homologated the the Scorpio N nameplate, but in last minute decisions, they had to go with Scorpio, which isn't a big deal anyway. Because I think I prefer Scorpio. It makes it clearer as well as because it's uh, in uh, India and other markets. It's Scorpio hyphen N, which makes it like is it Scorpio hyphen N Scorpion, like it a bit clearer. But yeah, you have something to say, Will? Sorry. Um, they actually raised the whole Mitsubishi thing as an issue. They haven't sold the Scorpion here since the 80s. Who was genuinely going to be confused by that? So, yeah, um, apparently Mitsubishi still has the trademark for Scorpion. Uh, and um, it's just, although it hasn't been on sale since the 80s, it's just a kind of trademark that Mitsubishi has held on to. And because of that, they have rights to the name and obviously that's mm. been an issue for Mahindra. So yeah, um, I'll kind of get into a bit more of the, the nitty gritty with the, the Scorpio now, but um, the main draw card, I suppose, is the price of this Scorpio, the, the main kind of thing that you look at first. So it, the range starts at a very a, appealing $41,990 drive away, which mm. is very cheap. Um, but I will kind of say uh, this price is only until – it's an introductory price um, until June 30, uh, just roughly before the, the end of financial year. And um, I think this is very cheeky to kind of get people in the door, um, get them talking about the car, especially because there hasn't been one sold to date. And Mahindra obviously has um, ties back to very uh, rural and regional buyers and kind of farm use cases with their pickup ute and um i think it's uh very cool to have a a range that's starting so cheap but um as i'll talk about a little bit later it it does kind of make sense as you kind of get a little bit closer into it now um uh as i said the the range starts at 41 uh, 990 driveway there are two variants of the scorpio uh range the first is the z8 which is that price as i mentioned before and there's also a top spec z8l which is the L stands for luxury, whoop-de-doo. And that is a 44,990 drive away. There's not that much more. And uh, there are a couple of different um, spec changes between the two. But with that price, you're undercutting the likes of the Everest and the, the Prado by up to like 20 grand. So like you're saving a lot of money for a car that has, as I have, I don't think I've mentioned it thus far, but uh, it has um, three rows of seating. Um, so it's a proper yeah. like, family-oriented uh, vehicle, uh, I say that, but I don't, wouldn't necessarily buy, um, recommend it for family buyers, but um, has three rows of seating and it's in a two, two and two seating um, configuration, meaning that it has um, second row captain's chairs and that's the only option it can get it in right now. 
I'd be keen to find out how, just going by all the photos, how you went off-road in it. Yeah, that's the that's where it gets really fun. So yeah, on our launch drive, we did um, a really short uh, little spin on the road just to kind of get a feel of the car. Um, that was kind of short, but it should be expected. We, it was a really really busy day, but we spent the majority um, of the out of my time, at least anyway, off road, which was really fun. Oh, cool. So um, the the Scorpio range comes with a, a two point two liter um for a turbo diesel four cylinder, which is to be expected. Um, it comes with uh, one hundred and twenty nine uh, kilowatts of power and four hundred newton meters of torque, which um. Given the the segment, it is a little bit down on paper, but in reality, it was quite adequate. And that really, um, although it doesn't didn't sound great, it really made sense and was perfectly fine off road. Now, um, the Scorpio comes with an ASIN sourced um, six speed automatic transmission, um, with drive sent through a part time four wheel drive system that has a shift on the fly function between two high and four high that works up to eighty k's an hour, and there's also a proper low range transfer case. Um, but in addition, there's also um, a self-locking mechanical rear differential and a Bosch-sourced um, brake-locking differential and a whole heap of um, drive modes too. Now, all of that all together, as I just kind of listed off all in one go, nice. works really well in a nice package off-road. Surprisingly so. Um, the amount of things that we tackled, um, although in the grand scheme of things, they weren't necessarily crazy off-road maneuvers, the Scorpio just ate it up and didn't stress at all. The, the, uh, in particular, I was really surprised with the, um, the self-locking rear diff. It would just, it was a little bit loud in action. It would kind of clunk into to gear and then it would make a whole heap of rattles and whatnot and you'd get moving. Um, but it just worked really well off-road. I could do a lot of the what we were doing in two-wheel drive as well. So it um, sends the drive to the rear wheels. And um, yeah, so uh, off-road, it's a beast. Um, I know that a lot of people um, will be kind of using this as an off-road vehicle, perhaps touring, and I didn't have any issues at all. I'd love to um, have the car for just a little bit longer just so I could kind of properly test it out a bit more. It's mainly on-road functions and how it kind of deals with freeways and whatnot. But um, uh, off-road, I loved it a lot. Thumbs up. Nice. You mentioned you wouldn't recommend this if uh, if it was a family buying this. Now, why is that, Jack? Yes, Will. <laughs> um, yeah, so major, major criticism of the Scorpio that's really, really unfortunate is the Scorpio doesn't come with AEB, autonomous emergency braking. It's not coming at what? all for now at launch until a so-called midlife update. So, yeah, very disappointing, especially because this is geared as a family offering and you're going to be putting kids in the car and there's no real there – are, there are no active safety features. So there's like – although I said there's no AB, there's no blind spot monitoring either or rear cross traffic alert, lane keeping assist or adaptive cruise control. This is all – old-fashioned i suppose that's why maybe that's why the price is what it is yeah yeah definitely they're trying to kind of get people with the price and then once you kind of dig in a little bit deeper absolutely yeah they can offer it for that lower price um which is really disappointing i yeah because you can get uh, a a sangyong rexton for just a roughly seven thousand five thousand seven thousand dollars more and obviously that comes with all the safety kit that you could really want so 
Yeah, quite disappointing. And um, but yeah, Mahindra, the the angle that they were taking with this is that although it's kind of been geared as a um, a family car, people that will be buying this vehicle don't want these features, which I don't believe. It's just not good enough, and it's just main. That's the main issue with this Scorpio, and the reason why I loved every other part of it, but is just um, main main con. What about um, so speaking for for family buyers as well? Like, how is it? How is uh, the cabin in terms of space and comfort? Yeah, so um, given Mahindra's budget ori- uh, um, origins, I was expecting kind of bare bones, rough and ready interior. But if you have a look at the pictures and if you get a chance to have a look at one yourself and you open up the door, you'll notice that it has a really kind of luxy interior, it has this really mm. cool um, two-tone black and brown um, upholstery, which looks really cool. And there are a fair few soft-touch plastics and leatherette bits around the cabin, which I quite like, um, given it's a Mahindra. Like I wasn't expecting to see that at all, but you really don't have to look far to see rough and ready plastics that are scratchy and whatnot. But that's to be expected in this kind of in this segment and at this price point too, definitely. But um, in terms of space, as I mentioned before, it has um, a two, two and two seating configuration. And um, in the front, um, I'm completely fine. I can be completely fine driving. Um, in the base model, the seats are entirely manual, whereas in the Z8L, the driver's seat has electric adjustability. But I will note um, that the steering wheel annoyingly only has um, tilt uh, adjustability, so you can't. It has no reach, so the steering wheel doesn't come in and out. So you kind of have to just live with up and down maneuverability, which is the same for my Jimny, but when you're going up against an Everest and whatnot, and it's not quite good enough in that sense. But I'll move to the second row, and obviously with those captain's chairs, it's a really um, interesting point of difference about the Scorpio. No other large body-on-frame SUV has this seating configuration, and I loved it. It was really, it was really quite fun. I love spending a little bit of time in the, uh, the second row um, because it has kind of uh, has um, Kia Carnival esque um, fold down armrest, so you quite um, feel like a king of the road, and you feel like quite proper in the second row. Um, the seats are the second row seats are locked into place, so they don't slide, which I think is a bit strange. But the the space that the car does have those plenty of leg room, plenty of headroom. You completely. Uh, covered really in terms of um, space in the second row. But um, one thing I was kind of disappointed with uh, in terms of comfort or I suppose um, connectivity is there's only one USB-C port for the rear passenger, the second row passengers. Um, a bit disappointing on that front, especially because um, targeting family buyers where they'll have iPads and tablets and whatnot. Um, but they will thankfully have a, a dedicated second row um, blower function. So that if, they're, if they're hot, they can just turn up that fan and get some air onto their faces. But um, I'll go back into the third row now. Now, to get in there, um, thankfully, the the second row folds and tumbles, um, so it makes it easy to get in and out. But once you're in there, it's completely fine. I managed to fit in the third row at a pinch. I, <laughs> I 
was like, oh, yeah, this is completely fine right at, to begin with. Um, but once I kind of sat in there for 10, 15 minutes on a short little drive loop we were doing, my head was hitting every bump of the um, – every bump uh, – head was hitting the roof over every bump, I should say, and my knees were at my chin and I wasn't very comfortable. And the only thing back there is a 12-volt socket. So you're just kind of – um, alone with yourself back there. But I will say um, that every when, when you go back in terms of uh, seating rows, you go up a little bit in height. So even in the third row, I could see completely over top of all of the other rows. And I kind of, I still had like a commanding um, seating position. I didn't feel like I was kind of like tucked away out of, out of sight, out of mind. But I know that um, you're not really meant to have adults in the back there. That's not what, not what it's designed for. But um, and it's obviously meant more for kids. But there are no, there's no airbag coverage for that third row, and it's just like you'd want to put your oh, your, your least favorite kids back there, or like so, I don't know, <laughs> or like along those likes. Um, but yeah, when you have that third row um, upright as well, and you open up the side hinged um, tailgate, just like the Prado, um, you didn't need to be really mindful when you're parking too with that side hinged tailgate. There is no boot space with that third row in place, which is to be expected given its um, compact, large size. Um, but yeah, there's nothing. My Jimny has more space with the. I know that it's a completely different vehicle, but um, <laughs> when I have the the second row seats up in my Jimny, I have 85 liters of space, and I think there's less in the Scorpio with that third row in place. But thankfully, um, the third row does fold and tumble. It um, hooks onto the second row with a little uh, clip, um, but that also means that you don't have a completely flat floor in the Scorpio, which is kind of disappointing, um, especially because people who want to be potentially using it for its full load capacity. Um, it's meant to be a, a seven-seat version coming to of the Scorpio, which will um, include a, a, a third seat in that second row. But, um, yeah, it's kind of disappointing that I was expecting more space, which now saying that is a little bit fun, like funny given its compact size. But, um, yeah, I think it's uh, quite – Luxurious. It also comes with a standard sunroof. I don't think I've mentioned that yet, but um, lots of kind of luxury appointments and completely fine in the first and second rows, but a little cramped in the third row. We're talking about budget through your SUVs, you know, obviously a Prado is, is a good chunk of money and even something like an MUX or a Fortuna is, is quite a bit more than this. So would you recommend this over, say, an LDV D90 or a Sangyong Rexton, which are two other kind of budget-focused three-row uh, body-on-frame SUVs? Well, um, it all kind of – it depends. If you go from the safety aspect, no. I would not be getting the Scorpio until the midlife update because it misses out on so much safety equipment. And I can't – in like I just can't recommend it um, in that sense. But if you want something that's cheaper and you can go off-road and have a few people in the back and kind of get those luxury-esque thrills, absolutely. But um, personally, 
I would be going for the Rexton or the D90 instead, just for now, until those safety features come at a later point. They're going to have to at some point because AEB is um, becoming mandated on all new vehicles sold in Australia in 2025. So Mahindra is going to have to get its butt into gear at some point and bring those safety features. But um, yeah, just for now, I would kind of just be mindful Mindful is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've given the uh, Mahindra Scorpio a car expert rating of 7.7. You can uh, check out that review now. Well, that brings it into this week's podcast. Where's the team off to next week, Will? Uh, so not venturing too far. So I am down in Melbourne for a little while. So I will be going to the Mercedes-Benz EQE launch event um, next week. Um, and Scott will also be uh, in and around Melbourne for an event, uh, but his will be quite a different vehicle, the Volkswagen Amarok. Um, so you'll recall that we had overseas launch events that we attended for those. I think uh, James went to Spain, correct me if I'm wrong, um, for an EQE drive and Paul went to South Africa to drive the Amarok. So now we've got them here locally nice. um, and we can put them to the test. Um, and I understand there's also a Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, event uh, that will be taking place next week as well uh, because now the, the range has expanded with a two-row model with a shorter body and also um, this year a plug-in hybrid version is coming to Australia. So, uh, yeah, so a few events in the calendar for next week. Awesome stuff. Well, as always, it's been a pleasure. William Stopford and Jack Quick, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy.